0: Hear these words from the prophet Micah. Let them remind you of who this God is, the God that we worship. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Beloved, we have a faithful God who is eternal, who has always kept his word, who is worthy of all of our worship. If you'll notice, we have some songs picked out for this week. Normally, we would respond to this summons from God and respond with singing. But we would encourage you to listen to those songs uh, at your own convenience. Uh, Meditate on them. Think on them, especially uh, as you listen to them after the service is over. Think about how all the parts of the service fit together. And these songs uh, reinforce what we've talked about and will talk about They reinforce who God is in the the glories of our Savior, Jesus. But we know that our God is glorious and He is holy. And we meet with this God today, acknowledging that we are broken people, acknowledging that we are in need of His grace and His forgiveness. So if you would, let's acknowledge our sin together. Uh, The confession should be on the screen And let's repeat this together in a spirit of repentance, in a spirit of hope. And after it's over, we'll take a few moments to more personally and silently uh, interact and speak with our God. So let's acknowledge our brokenness and sin before a gracious God together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in love, you have ordered every step of our lives. But we want to chart our own course. You have promised that all things work together for our good. But when things are not to our liking, we are easily angered and often try to run from you. Forgive us. Teach us to trust in your goodness. Convince us that in Christ you are pursuing and loving us. Remind us that the cross and empty tomb overthrow sin and the grip it has on our lives. Remind us that the cross and empty tomb define and transform us. Help us cling to you because Christ has laid hold of us. All is grace. Amen. Beloved, let's take a few moments now and Acknowledge our shortcomings, our sins, our brokenness before our God. Maybe you read something that stood out to you. Maybe there's something from your life that you can think of this past week that illustrates and explains that oftentimes you want to chart your own course. Acknowledge that to God and you will find forgiveness. Let's do that privately and personally now. Gracious Father, we thank you that we can acknowledge the truth about who we are because your grace is real. We thank you that your grace is so powerful that it not only forgives, but your grace makes us aware of why we need you and why we cannot be our own Savior. We acknowledge all of this in hope. We acknowledge all these things with confidence. We acknowledge all of our sin as much as we know because your love for us is real as we find it in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Beloved, hear this assurance from God that he forgives you that he abundantly pardons, that he is patient, he is slow to anger, hear this and find forgiveness. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, so that your faith and hope are in God. All these things are true because of Christ. Let's now confess our faith together. Let's now put together the reality that our brokenness and sin is forgiven in Christ and that God tramples on our iniquities and puts them underfoot. Let's now acknowledge the hope that we have. Let's now acknowledge together our only comfort in this life and the life to come. I'll ask you the question. Please respond with the answer. Friends, What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because we belong to Christ by his Holy Spirit, he assures us of eternal life and makes us wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him
1: good morning it 's good to be with you uh, again uh, this morning. Uh, if you were watching the live stream last week, you might have noticed that I was not present, not here. Um, Carrie and the kids and I I got the opportunity to take a little bit of time. Uh, away. We're greatly appreciative of that. I want to say thank you to y'all for giving us time away, time to recharge, time to spend some time together even in the midst of this, um, uh, even in the midst of the pandemic that we're uh, going through together. So we greatly uh, appreciate that and have been looking forward to uh, going through the book of Micah uh, with you all this morning as we continue in our uh, series of going through the Bible uh, together. And just a reminder of some of the things that we are looking at as we uh, do this series uh, together. We are focusing on the four-part story of Scripture, of uh, God's goodness in creation and making uh, humanity in his own image and our rebellion uh, against God and his goodness. Um, But yet God pursues in grace and gives us Jesus, and Jesus redeems us. Uh, through his life, his death, and his resurrection, and Jesus is uh, restoring all things. So creation, rebellion, redemption, and restoration. We've been thinking through a a number of threads as we walk through the Bible together um, as well too. And so I want to remind you of those, that God is building his church, that God's always had a people. He's always been building his church, that evil is real, but it does not get the last word. Um, Grace, grace, God initiates, God pursues, God changes us. Uh, Jesus did it. Jesus actually accomplished redemption and everything is moving toward uh, Jesus. And this morning, we are going to take a look at the the book of Micah, and we're going to look at a few snippets from Micah chapter 5 and Micah chapter 6, and as you're turning there, just to give you a little bit of background on the prophet Micah, Micah is writing uh, right around the time of the prophet Hosea and the prophet uh, Isaiah, um, which means that Micah is, is writing Particularly right around the time that the uh, northern kingdom, Israel, if you remember, uh, somewhere along the way, uh, God's people get split into two kingdoms a southern kingdom and a northern kingdom. Uh, Israel's the northern kingdom, and Judah is the southern kingdom. But uh, Israel is about to be sacked and taken into exile uh, by the Assyrians. And so Micah's prophecy is, is, is right around that time. So God's people um, in Israel, uh, they, they, they see the Assyrians on the horizon coming uh, to take them in exile. And so with that, uh, we're going to look at the first four verses of chapter 5, and then we're going to look at verses 6 through 8 of chapter 6 uh, in the book of Micah this morning. But this is God's word uh, for us uh, this morning, beloved. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Then skipping over to chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray together and ask God to help us understand his word this morning. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our hearts, uh, our minds, and even our hands to receive Jesus this morning. Would you help us to see through your prophet Micah that we cannot live without Jesus, that we cannot live without your one and only Son, whom you sent into the world to save sinners and to restore all of creation Holy Spirit, we pray this morning that you would work in us in such a way to work what Jesus has done deeper and deeper into our hearts, that we would grab a hold of it tighter and tighter, knowing that we will never grab a hold so tightly of Jesus that we will surpass how tightly he holds on to us. And so we pray that you would help us to see that, that Jesus is holding on to us this morning, that we cannot live without him, And we pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Have you ever thought about why we are attracted to and drawn to stories of of fantasies and fairy tales? Stories uh, like the the Harry Potter series, Uh, stories like the Chronicles of Narnia or the, the Lord of the Rings, and there are many, many, many other stories in this vein. Have you ever thought about why it is that we're drawn to those stories? I think that some of the reasons that we're drawn to those stories is because those stories are honest with us about the fact that evil exists in the world and that the world that we live in is a broken world, which points us to the reality that there was a time in which the world was not broken. Uh, I think some of the reasons that we are drawn to those stories is because we see that the only answer to this evil and brokenness that exists is sacrifice. Sacrifice. And so we look for a hero, a hero who's going to come and who's going to rescue and to restore and make things ultimately right. One of the more uh, recent stories in this vein that, has, uh, that I personally have been very drawn to has actually played itself out uh, on the movie screen. Uh, with the Avengers series, and most particularly the two latest movies in that series, Infinity War and Endgame. Um, the writers of these Marvel comics have done a great job of connecting us with these things that we are so drawn to evil existing in the world. In Infinity War and Endgame, we see that through the character Thanos. Thanos, who is coming to, uh, to wipe out half of the population of the world. He is the embodiment of what evil looks like. And certainly, we see brokenness in that as well, too, because literally just with the snap of a finger, Thanos does wipe out half of the population, and so people lose loved ones. We see the brokenness that is there, and we know that in these stories, and we long for a hero to come. And we get to see that play out in these movies through a conversation that happens over the course of these two movies between two characters, Iron Man and Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange is a character who has the ability to see all of the potential outcomes of things in the future. And the conversation goes between the two of them in which Iron Man is asking Dr. Strange, are there any possible outcomes for this to end well, basically? And Dr. Strange keeps telling him, there are 14 million possible outcomes here, and only one of those ends well. And that one outcome is actually Iron Man sacrificing himself so that things will be restored and so that people will be brought back to life literally iron Man's sacrifice brings restoration he trades his life for humanity things made right without iron man they cannot live and the world cannot go on And as we see this happen, we're deeply moved by this. If you're anything like me, particularly at at Iron Man's funeral, it's a deeply moving thing. We resonate so deeply with these stories. And the reason that we do is because they point us to a deeper underlying reality to our lives and the world that we live in. And Micah connects with this because Micah shows us the true story that all of these other stories that we're so drawn to are actually rooted in, and that is the story of Jesus. And what Micah shows us is that we cannot live without Jesus. That's our big takeaway this morning, is that we cannot live without Jesus. And the way we're going to get at that is we're just going to look at these verses in chapter 5 and chapter 6. I don't have any sort of fancy outline this morning. We're just going to look at these verses in these two chapters. So let's begin with thinking together about uh, chapter 5. At the beginning of chapter 5 in verse 1, you see Micah call upon Israel to muster their troops. And we have to remember the big picture of what's going on again in the life of God's people in Israel. Remember, Assyria is on the horizon and is coming to attack Israel and to take Israel into exile. And Micah says, go ahead, Israel, muster your troops. Get your armies together. But oh, by the way, Assyria is coming. They're going to be the rod that is going to strike you, which really is communicating they're going to bulldoze you. They're going to take you into captivity. You can muster all you want, Israel. You can build your army all you want. Assyria is coming, and you will not be able to defeat them, you will go into captivity. We certainly see uh, here in this verse that that evil is at their door. It is real. Brokenness is, is real, that it really does exist. Evil is at their door, but evil is also in their own hearts, too. Because you'll remember the reason that God's people are going into captivity is because of how they have treated God. It's because they have not loved God and they have not loved their neighbors. Remember, God is upset with his people because they've marginalized the poor and taken advantage of the poor and they have not loved him. They've run to other gods. We see that all throughout the prophets. And so evil's at their door, but evil exists in their own hearts as well too. It is real, but it does not have the last word. And Micah tells them that in verse 2. Look back with me. Let's read this together. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Micah says there's hope. Evil does not get the last word there is hope there is a ruler who is coming and this ruler who is to come in the future is actually a ruler who is also ancient as well too and oh by the way as we mentioned earlier god's people have been split into two kingdoms israel and judah and micah is communicating to israel this ruler is actually going to come from judah and is going to reunite and bring back together into one God's people, and they will be one people united under this ruler who is to come, but yet is ancient as well too. And then in verse 4, Micah tells us it, exactly what this ruler who is going to come is going to do. He's going to be like a shepherd who's going to gather and protect his sheep, his flock, his people, and he's actually going to uh, bring them into a dwelling place, a home that is absolutely secure from now to the ends of the earth, is what Micah says, which is communicating to us that this dwelling place, this secure dwelling place that this future ancient king is bringing is one that is absolutely everlasting, In the gospel of Matthew chapter 2, as Matthew is recounting the birth of Christ and Christ's coming, he actually quotes verse 2 of Micah chapter 5. And so Matthew is telling us, verse 2 of Micah 5, this ancient king who is now coming is Jesus. Micah is talking about Jesus here. Jesus is the shepherd king who is the only hope For God's people and the world. And as a matter of fact, Micah 5, verse 5, that we didn't read, tells us that this king is actually going to bring peace and make everything whole and restore everything. So, all of the elements of the story are there, right? That we deeply connect with and resonate with. That it's true that evil is real. Assyria is on the doorstep, evil exists in our own hearts. Evil is real, but it does not get the last word. The world is broken, but it will be made new. That there will be someone who comes and rescues. And that is Jesus. And how does he rescue? Sacrifice. He lays down his life for you and for me, for his people, that we would have life and that we would be restored. He restores all things. Everything is moving toward Jesus, beloved. Jesus actually accomplishes redemption. The story of Jesus is the one true story that all of the other stories that we connect with are rooted in. Micah could not address God's people here without telling them that they cannot live without Jesus. And he's communicating the same thing to us. And this reality actually means something for our lives. It actually means something for us. And so let's turn to chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, and take a look at what that is. I'm going to read this again for us. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Micah 6, 6 through 8 tells us that God requires something of us. That God requires something of us. And in verses 6 and 7, Micah gets at at and tells us how, on the one hand, not to think about that requirement. And what Micah says is, look, you can't bring enough to meet the requirement that God is asking for. There, there aren't enough calves, there's not enough oil, not even thousands of rams, not even your firstborn. And what Micah is communicating is that our rebellion and sin is so deep that there is no way that we can muster our way, work our way, sacrifice our own way out of our sin. But sacrifice is required sacrifice is required and not even the sacrifice of our firstborn can get us there but sacrifice of God's son can and does. Jesus meets the sacrificial requirement for things to be restored. Jesus accomplishes redemption by laying down his life for us. And so what the requirement is that Micah is talking about here and telling us here is that we need to put our lives into Jesus. We cannot live without Jesus. We need to put our lives into Jesus. And verse 8 shows us what it looks like for us to put our lives into Jesus' hands. Micah says what it looks like when we put our lives into Jesus' hands, what it looks like for us to come to grips with the reality that we cannot live without Jesus is that we are a people who do justice, who love kindness, which means that we are merciful people who walk humbly with our God. What it looks like for us to put our lives into Jesus is that we follow Christ. We follow Jesus. Jesus. We do justice. Remember a few weeks ago, we looked at the book of Amos. We talked a lot about justice and how justice is this fully orbed idea that justice is taking what is wrong and making it right, but that it's also more than that, that it's protection and it's care. And Jesus does that for us. He meets the requirement for us he takes the wrong of our sin and makes us right cleansing us with his blood he protects us with his blood he cares for us he cares so much for us that he trades his life for ours and that means that we should be a people who want to do justice We should be a people who want to pursue taking that which is wrong and making it right. Who want to protect those who cannot protect themselves just like we cannot protect ourselves from our sin. And we need Jesus to cover us. We should be a people who care. Who give ourselves to others just as Christ has given himself to us. We place our lives into Jesus' hands. We follow him. We do justice. We love kindness. It means we're a merciful people. And we're a merciful people because we have been shown incredible mercy. Mercy that is so far beyond anything that we could imagine because we are a people who have rebelled against a good and holy God. And God has chosen to respond to us in mercy by giving his one and only son to us. And that should make us a people who operate out of mercy, which means that we're a people who operate out of our own need for Jesus. That's what it means to be a merciful people. Last week we looked at the book of Jonah and Dave talked to us a little bit about what it looks like to be a people of of mercy. And so I'm kind of building on some of what Dave talked about last week. You remember Dave told us that when we come to Jesus and Jesus becomes deeper and deeper into us and, and our eyes are open to our sin, we realize that what we are is we are beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. That's what it means to be a people of mercy. We recognize that we're beggars and that that we are just showing other beggars where to find bread. But Dave also pointed out to us that we have this temptation to move from that posture of things. And at some point, we see ourselves as former beggars showing beggars why they need bread. And that's a jump that moves us away from being a people of mercy. And that's an indication to you and to me that we've missed the reality that God's word is a fully orbed four-part story. And we've actually taken God's word and turned it into a two-part story of just rebellion and redemption. When we see ourselves as former beggars telling other beggars why they need bread, we can rest assured that we are not thinking about the full four-part story of Scripture. We are just thinking about rebellion and redemption. And in doing that, what we've actually turned ourselves into is thinking that we're actually better than others. And we can even go a step further than this and communicate to people that we are actually the resource that they need to find bread We've got to be very careful not to turn God's word into a two-part story. We are beggars, showing other beggars where to find bread. The apostle Paul gets at that at the end of his life when he says, I'm among the chief, the foremost of sinners. That's what it looks like to be a people of mercy is that we recognize our own need for Jesus all the time and we operate out of that need we are the chief of sinners and we need Jesus and that moves us to the third thing that Micah says here is if we are people of mercy then that means that we're also going to be a people of humility too who desire to walk humbly with our God We follow Jesus and we walk in humility. Humility looks a lot like being charitable towards others, thinking the best of others. Humility is the opposite of pride. When we're living in a two-part story instead of a four-part story, we're operating out of pride. We have to move away from that into mercy, into humility, into charity. And what this looks like is us not assuming that we're always right all the time and fighting for that. What this looks like is us listening, appreciating others, appreciating those who bear God's image in his world, building relationships with a self-awareness of our own struggles and our own shortcomings and our own Failings. This is us striving to assume that others care more and know more than we do. This is us pursuing unity around the fact that we cannot live without Jesus. All of these things humility, charity. And all these things God requires. Our response to the reality that Jesus has met the requirement. That Jesus has given himself for us. And so we're a people who want to do justice, to love kindness, be merciful, and humbly walk with our God. Not because we are somehow earning God's pleasure, but because we already have it in Jesus. And so it's a response to God's grace to you and to me and what Christ has already accomplished. And beloved, this is why it's so important for us to reflect on the four-part story of Scripture, of creation, rebellion, redemption, and restoration. You've heard us talk about this a lot, that many of us, including myself, grew up in a, in a church situation in which the Bible was basically boiled down to a two-part story of rebellion and redemption. And we have to be a people who have a robust view of the four-part story of Scripture. If we are going to be people, people who are going to follow Jesus, who are going to give our lives into the hands of Jesus, then we have to have a robust view of the whole of Scripture, the four-part story. We have to have a robust view of creation A robust view of what it means that every single human being bears God's image in his world, which means that we first and foremost appreciate people. We're careful to listen, we're careful to genuinely care about others. And the only way that that is going to happen is if we have a high view of the image of God in creation. We have to have a high view of rebellion, too. Just because we're saying that we need to have a high view of a four-part story and not a two-part story doesn't mean that we minimize rebellion. As a matter of fact, it makes more sense of a rebellion. Rebellion is real. It's a rebellion against a good God who made everything good in creation. And you and I both are rebellious. We have to have a high view of rebellion and sin in our own hearts and in the world. And we have to have a high view of redemption That Jesus has actually come and sacrificed himself so that we would have forgiveness of sins and so that the restoration of all things would be happening, going on, and would ultimately come to fruition when Jesus comes back to earth and brings heaven here to us and redeems all of creation. We have to have a high view of all of these things. And then what Jesus does is he gives us a recaptured lens when he works in our hearts of the image of God in others. He gives us a recaptured lens of that so that we look and we see out of that viewpoint, which means that we are a people who want to do justice and are people who want to be merciful and walk humbly with our God. It means that we can engage all things, everything, through the lens of the gospel. Which means that we can engage any sorts of conversations that we might have, even with people that we disagree with, and look and say, you know, there are things here that are good for me to think on. They're good for me to take in because I can connect Jesus with those things. And then there are things that we can push back on just in the same way that the gospel does in our own hearts. The gospel is always in our own hearts affirming some things that we feel. Affirming that we feel the depth of the brokenness of the world that we live in and it needs to be made right. And also pushing back on the reality that we contribute to that brokenness as well too. All the while striving to connect Jesus with everything and what that does is it frees us it frees us to not be a people who are just alarmist but rather a people who have a humble confidence in a robust theology that puts Jesus at the center of everything everything is moving toward Jesus who is restoring all things And what Jesus does is he invites us into that with him, to follow him, to do justice, to love kindness, to be merciful, and to walk humbly with our God. Jesus invites us into that. And so we can do that. We can walk in humility into everything, into all things. We can walk into humility with each other. We can walk into humility with those that we disagree with, with our spouses, with our friends, with our children, with our coworkers, because we have a full confidence that everything is moving toward Jesus. God is at work, beloved, and he invites us into that to be a people who do justice, who are merciful and humble. Beloved, Micah shows us that we cannot live without Jesus. And so let's get caught up into Christ. Let's get caught up into the story that he is writing, the story of creation, rebellion, redemption, and the restoration of all things in him. Let's get caught up, beloved, in following Jesus and being a people who do justice, who love kindness, and who walk humbly with our God, because Christ is the one who works it into us in his grace. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you bring all things into clarity in Christ. You bring the things in our hearts that we deeply connect with, with the stories that we read ourselves, that we read to our children, that we engage with others with and make us realize that all of those things are rooted in the reality of what Jesus has done. We thank you that you, you do that. We thank you that you work in us to be a people of justice, of humility, of kindness, of mercy. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would work these things deeper and deeper into us. Help us to put our lives deeper and deeper into the hands of our Savior, Jesus. And we pray these things in his name, amen. Beloved, God does not want us to leave here this morning without knowing that his blessing is upon us, without, knowing, without us knowing that we cannot live without Jesus, that we need Jesus every moment of every day. And so hear God's blessing and strive to live like you really believe it, this week because it is true beloved the lord will bless you and he will keep you the smile of the father is upon you and he will be gracious to you both now and forever the presence of our god is with us and jesus will bring shalom he will make peace he will make us whole go in the peace of christ beloved